Hey everybody, my name is uh, Eduardo Castello, but everybody calls me Eddie, so please do so. Uh, I'm here in order to introduce you the combination of two things that apparently don't do much with each other, but together they do something interesting, right? It's the field of robotics, my uh, field of expertise, and blockchain-based technology. Disclaimer, I don't think that blockchain is the solution to every single problem humanity has. But me, as a roboticist, I, I found it like to be a young Swiss knife to push the limits of my field. And this is a little bit of what you're going to see in this presentation. So um, the world of robotics and AI is, is a controversial topic. I've been a roboticist like, for almost 15 years. I built all kinds of robots. And always I ended up myself in the middle of a, of a dichotomy, right? I found people that like, were saying, oh, the world of robots and AI, they are the beginning of the utopia. They will free us from the work we can do, although we don't want to do. Also, like I met people uh, next to my lab uh, and like doing a lot of like coffees and beers that were telling me, no, uh, this this field is the beginning of the dystopia. Uh, these systems can cause like, severe havoc in our societies. So somehow, I always found myself in between these like two places, right? But one of the things that I realized from these conversations is that uh, commonality is the the concept of autonomy. Somehow we, we have a problem with this concept because we want these systems like to be more independent so they can do the stuff we don't want to do uh, alone. But at the same time, when we give more autonomy to these systems, we open the door for these systems to commit the mistakes that we already have. Also, to do them in a faster and more efficient way. We, we have a fear that these systems will misjudge us and will put our world into, into havoc. Right? But, but somehow, when we think about autonomy, we tend like to think about robots that have arms and wheels and, and humanoid robots and these kind of like things. No? But also, in these days, many people think about ChatGPT. Yeah? So ChatGPT is somehow like an oracle. Right? It's, it's this like, system that has the right answer right? Like for, the, for the right question. So somehow, it's supposed to give you like the information you need in the moment you need it, right? It's like an, an oracle, a modern oracle. Regardless of how accurate this system is, somehow we, we are trying to like, portray a different type of an autonomy, right? And I'm going to give you some, some examples. So for example, this system that you can see here is a, a bicycle, a lightweight vehicle that we developed in MIT. And it has a, a very particular uh, mechanism. So the rear wheel opens up in the moment that the bicycle needs like, to go to one place or another the, in a completely autonomous way. But also, when you ride it, when you call the, the, the tricycle and then you want to ride it yourself, you can basically like, ride it as a normal bicycle. So what we did in MIT is that we studied how these systems in large numbers can, be, uh, can move uh, societies, right? can move like cities, can understand what's the state of a city or a society. Right? So autonomy has this like, societal like, impact as well. But also, uh, in, uh, in, in MIT, we developed like, these, um, these systems that could also have autonomy in an emotional plane. So what you can see here is a couple of like robots that we program in order to extend the emotional autonomy of of of, of kids by understanding their their um, 
their signs and, and interpret like their feelings that they were having, right? So these two robots that are called Naos told stories to children with autism and interpreted like a role in which like the characters have uh, expressed uh, fear or expressed happiness or expressed sadness so the kids could understand what that meant. But I would like to tell you like a personal story, right? So what you can see here in this picture is uh, two Japanese men. One is my PhD advisor. The other is his robot clone. Okay? So uh, one of them is called Professor Ishiguro. He was my PhD advisor like for around seven years. And what you are seeing here is basically uh, his robot doppelganger, right? So Professor Ishiguro wanted like, to solve a problem that we all had at some point in time, which is what do I do in order to be at two places at the same time? This is his solution like, for this, right? So Professor Ishiguro in his office was teleoperating like this robot uh, in places where he didn't want to be physically, right? <laughs> so I, with this system, I've seen uh, Professor Ishiguro attend uh, presentations like this, uh, uh, conference talks, even family gatherings, right? <laughs> but there's, there's a caveat like, to this, which is that Professor, Professor Ishiguro didn't want to move from his office, but someone had to move the robot. And for almost two years, that was me. <laughs> so every airport security guy in the Western world knows my face because for two years, I travel with a human torso in my luggage. <laughs> so imagine. Yeah. The, the thing is that when I was traveling with uh, uh, um, uh, Professor Ishiguro's like, robot, somehow, like, uh, obviously, I had the thought that mm, what will happen if the robot will uh, pay me like, to move him around, <laughs> right? Will, will, what will happen if the robot will have not only an autonomy like, to move around or basically uh, interact with people, but also to try like, to care like, for its existence and then like, try like, to secure everything that it needs in order to keep on doing its actions, especially w without me. <laughs> Somehow like, I thought, what will happen if the robot like, will travel like, alone and then like, uh, some, like, some robot part like, uh, is, is broken? How he could incentivize like, someone like, to buy that part like, for the robot and install it properly, right? So, all these thoughts like, were developed like, during the years, and when I went like, to, to MIT, I got together like, with five superstars, and like, we came together with the idea of Gakachu, which is what I'm going to introduce you in, in the following like, video. So let's meet Gakachu. It is clear that robots are going to have great economic impact. Still, they can break or malfunction, and someone has to repair them. How can robots provide their own maintenance? If they pay for their repair service, they become peers, not just tools. We now ask ourselves, can a robot become an entrepreneur? If yes, what does it need to become one? In an open market society, it is important that robots offer goods or services. To increase their autonomy, robots need to also get rewarded for their labor and be able to invest the benefits in their own sustainability. These ideas have been discussed before, 
but there have been extremely limited practical advances on robots' economic autonomy, and no prototype of an economically autonomous robot has been built until now. For instance, current robots are not able to accept payments from potential clients and or pay service providers for their maintenance. Novel technologies, such as blockchain-based smart contracts, are offering new solutions to these problems. A smart contract is computer code embedded in the blockchain that directly controls the transfer of digital assets between parties. A robot using this technology operates in the physical space, but part of its interaction logic is described in a smart contract. Thus, the robot can perform its functions in both its economic and its physical environment. Let's take a look at the real proof of concept of an economically autonomous robot. Meet Gakachu, a robot arm that is self-employed in the making of customized physical goods, which it sells online in auctions. Gakachu uses its income to purchase supplies or assistance, or even to repay loans from investors. Gakachu starts with receiving a loan from an investor to cover initial costs. Then it selects a keyword trending online. It translates the word into Japanese and paints it on a canvas. Once the painting is complete, Gakachu puts it up for auction. After the sale, the physical painting is sent to the winning bidder's address and the digital ownership certificate is delivered as a non-fungible token. Finally, the payment is transferred directly to Gakachu's blockchain-based wallet. Now Gakachu can use its generated income to purchase human assistance or supplies from a webshop or to repay an initial investor. During a six-month period of self-employment, Gakachu created and sold four paintings. First, it used a loan from an initial investor to cover the startup costs. Then, Gakachu held four successful auctions and received payments to its own wallet. It used its funds to repay the investor loan and purchase supplies. At the end, Gakachu had earned more than two ETH and had interacted with humans economically in three different ways as an investment vehicle, as a self-employed agent, and as a customer. Interesting, right? So let me do a quick review about like uh, what Gakachu does for a living, right? So at the beginning, Gakachu uh, tries to uh, search the internet like for trendy concepts, and then in the moment that it gets one, it translates into Japanese, right? Then starts painting uh, the picture. So once this is completed, there is like an auction, right? And then the winner of this auction gets the picture. So this uh, picture is sent physically, the canvas, or digitally with an NFT to the winner like address. And then the payment that this winner is willing to pay for the picture goes directly into, Wakachu, into Gakachu's like wallet, right? Not to the owner of Gakachu, not, not us actually, to back to Gakachu. Then Gakachu uses the created uh, revenue in order to uh, buy everything that it needs in order to paint the next pictures, right? So paint, canvases, human assistants, etc. right? So if we take a quick look about the finances of Gakachu for the six months that we run this experiment, we can see that at the beginning we have a period in which someone had like to put seed money like for Gakachu like to buy the first uh, uh, paint, uh, canvases, etc. right? That was us. We, we, we lend money to the robot. But then there was a second period in time in which Gakachu started like, to paint these pictures and get them sold. 
At the beginning, uh, at the end of like the, the, this like, six-month period of time, Gakachu repaid us part of uh, the money that like, we invested like, in him and acquired new resources like, for the next pictures that he was going to paint. If you're interested, you can follow uh, our friend in, uh, in his Twitter account, like uh, now, now X, I, I believe, um, and check all the auctions that like, we completed and like, all the paintings that like, Gakachu like, finished. But somehow, I would love like, to go back to the, to the first slide of the presentation, right? Because somehow, our idea is that um, robots are a tricky thing. We find ourselves always in this like, dichotomy, right? But somehow, uh, the concept of autonomy is, like, is a very narrow like, concept like, that we have like, in the field, right? If we will be able like, to extend it a little bit, we will be able to include other agents, right? So somehow, one of the things that I learned in, uh, in this research is that it's not us versus the robots. It's us with the robots. Right? And with all these new technologies, we might be able to learn some lessons in order to include other agents into, into the equation. Right? So, for example, something like this. If you take out the robot, right, and then you put other type of agent, for example, a river, for example, a forest, for example, a cultural like a, a heritage place, right, you might be able to transact with this agent. Right? And what we discover is that our society is transactional. Right? Everything seems to be part of like a contract. Right? So in the moment that you make the agent part of this transactional dynamics, you remove it from being a mere means. You elevate like, this agent to an end by itself, which is one of the problems that we have like, with many of these, these agents. Right? Right? So somehow, uh, one of the key takeaways that we, like, we received is that if we are able to include these agents into a transactional relationship with us, we might be able to understand them not just a means, something to exploit, but an end by itself, like what we did with Gakachu. So I think this is the end of my talk. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.